Love your local nonprofits and build a better community with a gift that costs you nothing today. Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what mattered to you. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action will inspire others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now. Give later. Impact tomorrow. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. For hundreds of years, we brought you the news. For the info, we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Change in market now threatens our lives. Post literation, critical reading, dumbed down nation, signs of inbreeding, TV sucking, ideas from our head, public discourse, just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Yeah, ride the dinosaur. Hey everybody, that song you just heard is Ride the Dinosaur by the Bad Slugs, a band based here in Connecticut. And I'm Eugene Driscoll. Welcome back to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indie podcast. Uh, the Valley Indie is a nonprofit online newspaper in Connecticut's lower Naugatuck Valley. Today, my guest is Seymour First Selectman, Kurt Miller. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Miller. Always a pleasure to be here with you, Eugene. This podcast, by the way, is sponsored by ValleyGivesBack.org. So Kurt is here to answer questions submitted publicly by Valley Indie Facebook readers. But before we get into the questions, of which there are many, for which I am very grateful, Seymour always comes through uh, when, they, when it's time to question uh, first Selectman Miller, which is awesome. But I just want to tell people that Twisted Vine, a restaurant on Main Street in Derby, will be featured 9 p.m. Friday, January 31st on Kindred Spirits, a paranormal investigative type show on the Travel Channel. Twisted Vine will be hosting a viewing party, and here is a quick promo for the episode. On Travel Channel, it's an all-new Kindred Spirits. We are investigating the Twisted Vine restaurant. They have a lot of activity, and they have been having it for decades. We have a gentleman that, he's not a man, he's, you can see through him. I've never seen anything like it. Did you kill yourself? Is there someone here? Do you want us to get the hell out of your building? Oh, I saw there. a shadow. What? That's going off. What Everything is literally is going crazy. What's happening right here? All-new Kindred Spirits, Friday at 9, on Travel Channel and Travel Channel Go. For more information, call Twisted Vine at 203-734-2462. All right, Mr. Miller, are you ready? There are so many questions. I have questions for you. I'm not even going to ask my questions. Forget my questions. They don't matter. <laughs> the people of Seymour, I guess because you haven't been on this podcast in a little bit, uh, you were boycotting it for some reason. I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, are you ready? Are you ready to go? Boycotting? I thought I'd uh, lost my spot to Bowen. <laughs> Bowen came through in a pinch. Uh, I needed a podcast. I was like, I got to do a podcast. I, 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 and then with 10 minutes notice, I was like, Bowen, let's let's talk about all the people that are going nuts on the Valley Indie Facebook page. And uh, he came through. But, it was like a Seinfeld episode. You guys talked about nothing for a half hour. I mean, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. I listened to it cover to cover. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, one of the seven people. So, I mean, be excited. 
Whoa! All right, little little uh, insult to the Bowen, I guess. There, whatever. I'm no, sure. no, not to you. Bowen makes it entertaining. All right. So anyway, let's get to the community center. All right. There are a bunch of questions on there about the community center, uh, the plan yep. of which is, I guess, in the works uh, in some way. You'll explain. But Shane White he posed a question: What's going on with a new community center? Uh, well, at our last board of select meeting, we formed uh, a community center building committee uh, whose charge it will be to plan a path forward to putting a new community center uh, back in front of the people. I'm not sure that it will nece- uh, necessarily have a vote. Um, but this wait, okay, will be the wait, group I'm sorry. You did back in front of the people, but it won't have a vote. Right. Help, help me on it. Well, I mean, w- our plan is to have uh, multiple uh, town meetings. Uh, giving people the opportunity to come and uh, make specific comment. You know, one of the things we found, you know, when we put it out to vote, that was, and you and I have talked about that in the past, that was more to get it out in front of people, to kind of get people's attention, um, to make people aware of what was going on. We put out some, you know, some general details, um, some things, some vision that we had, but the charge of this group is going to be to take that vision and put it into a format that we can now put in front of the people and say, you know, what do you like? And then we'll continue to fine tune that um, over several months until we have a a finished product that again, we'll put back in front of the people for final comment. And then we'll make determinations as to how we move forward. Okay. And that question that that was on the ballot, it was rejected by residents, right? I don't remember. The question on the ballot was, um, it was simply, could we borrow the money? Um, and we knew going in, I thought for sure that it would get killed, um, the question, because we didn't have, it's a lot of money to ask for with not a finished product that people can actually specifically vote on. They were essentially voting on you know, a theory of what it could be. Um, I thought that it would lose uh, by a substantially larger margin. I was actually surprised how clo- relatively close that it was. So that, you know, has kind of inspired us that people do want a new community center. Uh, I think a lot of the no votes, and if you saw some of the, you know, the posts in the back and forth, people are like, I love the idea, but I can't vote on something that I don't know what it is. Um, And that makes 100% sense to me. Uh, So now we're going to provide them all of that information. Um, If we do not go out, if we do not need to borrow the money, and I don't anticipate that we will, Uh, We don't necessarily need to have a referendum vote. Uh, At that point, it could be done through a town meeting. It could be done a part of the budget process. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that we can go without having to to put it on a ballot. Okay, and so so that the committee, the community center committee, was formed. I guess I mean we're we're recording this on January 29th. It was at your last selectman meeting, which was last week, I believe. It uh, was on the uh, it was on the twenty first, the day before my fiftieth birthday. Oh, happy birthday! Thank you. You did wish me a b- happy birthday. I did. I and was it was th- your birthday. What yesterday? The day before. Yesterday was my birthday. Yesterday. Yes, yeah. I've just turned thirty, so it's a big leap for me. You know. Yeah, I'm substantially older than you, so. It's- <laughs> so we had a question from <laughs> Jennifer Magri, very well known uh, in the Naugatuck Valley. Uh, I don't know Jen. <laughs> Okay. All right, President Trump. Uh, can Kurt... I'm about to get a scathing test message from her in about 30 seconds. <laughs> never, never, never... No, don't know the guy. All right, so can... <laughs> don't know her. 
Can Kurt please explain how the members of the Community Center Building Committee were selected? While each member is certainly knowledgeable and capable, there certainly is not diversity among the members. Shouldn't the makeup of the committee also, to some extent, be representative of the diversity within our community to ensure that any building would work for all? Well, I mean, Jen and I are good friends and, you know, all kidding aside about not knowing who she is. Um, you know, I challenged that statement a little bit. Um, you know, th the goal of this group is to physically build the community center. So if you look at the people that we have on there, we have our engineer, we have our town building official, we have our uh, director of maintenance, um, you know, we have our chair of our uh, board of finance, but we also have... Uh, Suzanne Riley, who represents the Commission on the Aging, as well as the Livable Communities Commission. And we have Zach Philippas, who is our Recreation Program Manager. So we have their input directly when it comes to the building of this building. But what we're going to do is we're going to rely heavily on input from the residents. What about, I would so, assume, just based on the community discussions that the, the City of Derby had over the years before they... Uh, got grant money and uh, private money donations to build their new uh, athletic complex. Mm -hmm. They had put, if I remember correctly, and I'm probably butchering this, uh, but I think maybe this is what Jen is going towards. There was controversy, a little bit of controversy in Derby. Well, why didn't you put a, uh, you know, the head of the soccer commission on this or the youth league uh, head on this commission? Was there any thought in, into doing that? Because they're sort of in uh, the day-to-day uh, uh, not grunt work, but they're in the trenches there with the kids and they understand what uh, the community needs in terms of athletics facilities? Um, to be honest, no. Uh, because, again, it's about building a, a building. Um, and I think we have enough knowledge on the committee itself to do that. But, again, we're going to be reaching out to all of these groups to provide input. The problem is if you get a, a, a committee that's too big, it gets cumbersome, um, it can't do the work that it needs to do. So I think we have enough people on this on this group to be able to incorporate all the input from the residents, all the input from, you know, whether it be the Little Leagues, the Pop Warners, the Soccers, all the activities that are out there um, to allow them to have a say in what goes on. The problem is we're building this community center that's going to touch so many things that if we include someone from soccer, then we have to include someone from baseball and football and basketball. And then you have your arts because we want to make sure that this building is able to um, allow, you know, music and art and everything else that comes along with that. The committee would be too big. It would be unmanageable. So, again, it's about, it was about putting together a group of people that would be able to get a building built that could talk at a higher level with uh with developers that's kind of the big thing we'll put the vision out the residents and all the groups will be able to weigh in on that and we'll do that with live meetings we'll do that with surveys going out to the residents uh, we'll take feedback at meetings we'll keep putting it back in front of the people all yeah, of when, our meetings when will be thing, public when does the community center building committee start meeting uh, we're working on finding a date that works for the committee in the beginning of February. Okay. Um, and then once we have that, then we'll establish a set meeting schedule. So that way the public will be aware of when that meeting schedule is, and it's open to the public. So we'll take public comment beginning and end of the meeting, 
Um, you know, we'll certainly allow certain groups to participate in certain discussions. I mean, it can't be a free-for-all or we'll never get any work done. But, I mean, it'll be a little bit more lax than a normal, let's say, Board of Selectmen meeting, Board of Finance meeting, Board of Education meeting, because we want some input from the residents. Okay, and then sticking with the community center uh, for a moment, this was from Julie Lynn, and this is more of an observation or comment as opposed to a question, but she says, community center committee, glad to glad that is now going to start up soon. If the committee eventually decides to sell 20 Pine Street, that's the current community center, I think, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Then the town should really retain ownership of number five Pine Street, the public parking lot and skate park, and also keep number two Pine Street, the back lot, without that public parking lot. There's nowhere to park for the Broad Street Park, nor could it be used for parade staging any longer uh, if sold as a three-parcel unit. So uh, that was Julie's comment. Kathy Creighton, I kind of uh, cribbed this from, uh, or cribbed this, or whatever it is, clipped. (sighs) I hate the English language. From another comment she had, she says, and I think this is connected to the community center in some way, progress of development behind Stop and Shop. Um, that parcel of land is owned by uh, the Haynes family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had multiple conversations with Tom Haynes. Uh, his plan is to kick that development off once Quarry Walk is done. Uh, Quarry Walk, I believe they have probably about another 12 months or so there. And then his plan is to come and start that same process in Seymour in that land behind Stop and Shop that stretches into Beacon Falls. And I would assume possibly, maybe, ideally, in a perfect world, that is a would be a good location for a community center uh, because it's it's in a perfect location, centrally located in town. Uh, is that a possibility? I mean, the land behind Stop and Shop uh, does uh, present a lot of positives. For a community center, one, it is centrally located. And if uh, we did a poll, I did a poll about uh, two weeks ago, to ask people just to kind of gauge their temperatures to where they thought the community center was. Um, and about 80% of the people said they wanted somewhere in the downtown area. Okay. So if we're going to put in, in the downtown area, it needs to be a place that can absorb the parking, can absorb the traffic flow. Uh, the area behind Stop and Shop, I think, would be ideal for that. But the other value that potentially going behind Stop and Shop brings is the ability to regionalize with the, the town of Beacon Falls. So if we'd always talked about putting a connecting road that connects Route 67 and Route 42 that runs parallel to Route 8 right along the water, if you know, the Haineses are able to put this development behind there, if our community center is behind there, obviously that road is going to need to be put in. That now provides easy access for residents of Beacon Falls to use the community center as well. So now we can go into a public-private partnership potentially where we're sharing costs of, in some formula with the town of Beacon Falls. So, again, okay. we're going to be able to hopefully provide uh, this much-needed amenity to the residents of Seymour, but if we could eliminate some or a, a great deal of the costs, I mean, there's tremendous value to our residents for that. Okay. Thank you for that uh, answer, and thank you, uh, Kathy Creighton, for Posting that question on Valley Indie Facebook. If I sound a little bit distracted, I got a cat on New on a Christmas Eve, and it's uh, it's a little kitten, and the thing is uh, right now tearing apart my couch. So I might have to use some uh, in a second. Let's say 
get a little spray bottle. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's just chaos, the thing. All right, so regionalization. This is also a question from Jennifer Magri. Uh, she has a, a two-question limit, this, just for the record. This is a, I like over two questions, she's got to send a donation to the Valley Indy. I like that Jennifer is off the school board <laughs> and now breaking your chops a little here. Because this is a good question, because I'm like, where is this? You guys have been talking. And I, I watched the video of your last meeting, and you bring yep. up this uh, regionalization issue, but still no one's really giving any concrete details other than uh, we're having discussions. But, okay, so Jennifer asks, I editorialize there. This is the actual question without my uh, slant. Can Kurt please elaborate on the regionalization discussions that he is having with Derby and Ansonia? What services are being considered and why? Uh, I would say every, every service is being considered. I don't think there's anything that's off the table. Um, but realistically, you know, there's not a lot of matches uh, between all three towns. The matches seem to be a little bit stronger between Ansonia and Derby. Um, but we are looking at every option, every avenue, just to see if there's anything that makes sense. You know, some of the things that we have, we've talked about, um, you know, regionalizing our dispatch, as an example. We've talked about, um, you know, having a regional fire range in the new Ansonia police station. Um, you know, we've talked about senior centers. We've talked about recreation. We've talked about um, certain services that town the towns provide, whether it be engineering, whether it be, uh, you know, building officials, whether it be enforcement officers. Uh, just to look at different ways where we could provide better service to the residents uh, and do so in a more cost-effective way to to the towns and cities. And you've been talking you know, about it, this for a while, right? I mean, at least since the last spring. Yeah, well, we've definitely been uh, you know, going, kicking around a lot of different scenarios. Um, you Do know, you have any, built, any so, like, ETA when you'll actually have a, a plan? Or maybe you won't. Uh, when does this stop or move forward, and when does the public uh, get an idea of exactly what you're talking about? Uh, I think by springtime you may see a few things uh, come out for – uh, public input, just to gauge the feeling of, uh, you know, the residents. There's some things that look fantastic on paper, uh, make a ton of sense financially, but residents just, they don't care about the savings. They don't want to lose, uh, you know, their neighborhood, I don't know, a library as an example. I'm just making something up. I'm not saying the library's on the table, but, you know, if you, could you build one or have one Valley Library as an example that was open seven days a week, that was open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, um, that had a lot more programming, a lot more technology and things like that, is that a, a greater benefit to residents as opposed to the convenience of, uh, you know, your town library? So it's, it's discussions like that, that you have to weigh out the financial impact versus, I guess, the residential convenience impact and make a decision as to what, um, what's best. And then it, do, do unions play an important role and a possible uh, impediment in some of these discussions? I mean, like merging police departments, that would, that's one that I've heard uh, over the years. Uh, but the, if they have different unions or, or different pay rates, that complicates it. Uh, and I have heard the same thing with the, the school districts. Is is that something? Uh, is that a major issue? Not not to cast unions in a negative or positive light. I mean, obviously they're positive, but uh, is that a thing you're dealing with as well? 
Um, there are potential issues that arise from that uh, because you have different bargaining units and they have different pay rates. They have different benefits. They have different uh, contract language. Bringing that all together sometimes can be problematic. Uh, so it's how you work through that. You know, the state of Connecticut, you know, the legislature has talked about this for years, and this is something that, you know, CCM, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, that we, you know, in our lobbying efforts every year, we go to them and we say, you know, you want regionalization to be a big push. You want towns and cities to be doing this. You need to give us the tools to be able to do that. So in, you know, an example, and, you know, let's just stay with the library because that's kind of what we started with. You know, we have unionized um, workers in Seymour in the library. We have unionized workers in, let's just say, Derby. Mm-hmm in the library. If we were to build one library that represented the two or service the two towns, I should say, we should be able to say, okay, these are the positions that we're going to fill. These are all going to be union positions. It's a brand new union contract and people can now apply for those jobs and move in. So it's not about essentially busting up unions, but it's about giving us the ability to negotiate now with just one entity where a lot of these regionalization cases, you're, you're negotiating with two different unions to try to create a third union in the middle. And in some of these cases, that's what's holding up regionalization because it's the ability to come to an agreement between what uh, you know, employees are willing to accept versus what management may be willing to accept. This podcast is sponsored by valleygivesback.org. Love your local nonprofits and build a better community with a gift that costs you nothing today. Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what mattered to you. With a plan gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action will inspire others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now, give later, impact tomorrow. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. Okay, moving on to the next set of questions. I subtitled this, Fix My Road. Fix My Road. We had a bunch of sort of infrastructure-like questions here. Uh, And actually, the very first question posted on Valley Indie Facebook when I put this query out to readers was from Matty Matt. He says, asphalt on Bungay Road? With a question mark, and that question alone receives five likes. So, are you putting asphalt on Bungay Road Road anytime soon? Um, we have two trucks in Seymour uh, that are designed to be able to repair, make road repairs all year round. So, we went out and bought two special pieces of equipment. So, we no longer use the cold patch. Okay. Um, I mean, we may use cold patch in an absolute emergency just to to temporarily take care of something, but. We have the ability to make hot asphalt year-round. Um, I actually drove by the truck this morning. that was out over on the Maple Street side of town taking care of some potholes. So, yes, we will be putting repairing potholes um, as we're notified, as we see them. So if a resident comes across a pothole, call my office, call Public Works. Uh, that pothole generally will be repaired by the next day because uh, we'll put it in the regular workflow and, and get it addressed. What I think Matt is talking about uh, with Bungay Road, it's a little bit bigger of an issue, particularly that area between Bungay School and the high school. Um, we have we have tentative approval or tentative funding, I should say, for uh, through the LOTSEP program. 
to redo Bungay Road from the Historical Society all the way up to the three-way stop uh, just by the high school. All right, so, so it's that, on the way, possibly, assuming yeah, that well, money gets it, released. We're projecting in 2022, um, but again, that is a state project, so there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. This is going to be quite, it's a $1.7 million project um, that encompasses not only road work and drainage, but there will also be a sidewalk that will start at the um, Historical Society and will essentially run all the way to the high school. Now, you may have to switch sides of the street, but again, we're trying to, as we're redoing these roads, we're looking at opportunities to potentially put in sidewalks to make mobility a little bit easier for folks. And, you know, with two schools on that road, uh, a lot of houses, we just thought making or having sidewalks makes a lot of sense for safety and for just the ability to people to walk up and down that road. And then speaking of sidewalks, this next question mentions sidewalks. This one is from Stephen Leonard. It's more of a request, actually. Lines repainting on Chestnut Street, better sidewalk clearing for snow. Well, two different things. One, and if you remember back, we do 25% of every year, we do 25% of the roads, uh, we repaint the lines every year now. So every four years, lines on every road will be redone. And if you remember, when we did that back over the summer, we got a ton of phone calls and Facebook posts and everything else that were wasting money because we're lining roads that maybe have never been lined before. And people were upset that it ruins the character of the road. Uh, one gentleman actually asked me, what are you putting a yellow line down the middle of my road for? I don't even know what it means. Oh, wow. You know, my, res- my response to that person is, well, do me a favor and give someone your keys because you probably shouldn't be driving a car um, if you don't know what the yellow line means. But, you know, that's we're trying to – we have a, our engineer, Brian Nesteriak, is very proactive. Um, and he wants to stay on top of these things to make sure that there's plans in place for these roads to be continually maintained. All right. So One of the things that he came into that he pushed was the road lining. So now we do that, uh, like I said, a quarter of the town every year. And who's, uh, you know, in, in everywhere I've lived, the sidewalk clearing is a responsibility of the uh, homeowner. Is that not the case in Seymour? Or? You're responsible for the sidewalk that is in front of your property. Okay. So uh, if sidewalks are not being cleared, then uh, the resident needs to call either my office or call the police station, just depending on what time it is. And then we go out and we have a conversation with the resident about getting it cleared. If the resident chooses not to do that, uh, then we would come out and clear the sidewalk and charge the resident. And this is from Tracy Sangster. Any plans on paving Holbrook Road going toward the rotary? Holbrook Road is a $5.3 million project. Uh, It was scheduled to start in the summer of 2019. Um, Now we're estimating that it will begin in the summer of 2020. We have completed all of the engineering for the project. Uh, At this point, we're waiting for sign-off from the state of Connecticut on the plans. Once we have sign-off from the state of Connecticut, uh, we can finalize some easements that we need to, to take um, just to get the road work done. The vast majority of the easements are with the town of Oxford, so there's no issue there. Um, they'll just sign off on those, and we move forward. Um, we go out to bid, and the work will start. It is a two-year construction cycle. So if it starts in the summer of 2020, it will finish in the summer of 2021. And is that the state DOT that has to sign off on that? 
Yes. Uh, we're responsible for doing all of the initial engineering. Uh, we do this in conjunction with the COG, the Council of Governments. Uh, it, our engineering work goes to what's known as third-party review. It's then sent back to us. We go back and forth with the company that does the third-party review to make sure the plans are in a format that is acceptable to the state of Connecticut. It then goes to the state of Connecticut, and it makes its rounds at Connecticut DOT. And then um, which, I, I, at what point do they lose the plans or put them at the bottom of the pile after you announce you're like running for statewide office? When does that happen? Is that uh... um, I would expect at some point <laughs> in early 2008 that happened. Um, you know, there's a lot of great people at Connecticut DOT, don't get me wrong, but they are not an example of efficiency because it goes from a it goes from engineer A to engineer B to engineer C engineer C has an issue so it's got to go all the way back to engineer A and just keep working its way through so it it literally takes forever um plus with the governor um you know I don't want to get political but you know with the governor holding back you know town road aid funds and things like that uh, with the bonding package to be able to force the issue of tolls, which I would argue is a, a quid pro quo, but we won't get into that. You know, that's having some impact on this as well. This is from Kathy Creighton. Condition of pavement on Pearl Street and snow removal at the train station before 5.30 a.m. on weekdays. Um, well, I'll, I'll do one at a time. Pearl Street, uh, Pearl Street was actually recently redone. I believe it was redone in the last uh, 15 years or so, which, you know, you know, we'll, we'll get back to Pearl Street, but there are pressing needs in other roads that haven't been touched for 25 or 30 years. So we have to work through all of those roads before we can come back to roads that have recently been done. Um, you know, Pearl Street, because of the volume on the road, certainly would hold a, a higher priority than a road potentially that has, you know, four houses on it, or a Clinton Road as an example that has no Seymour residents on it. Um, with regards to the snow plowing um, or the snow clearing, I mean, we do the best that we can. A lot of times it depends on when the snowstorm uh, comes in. The, we have guys assigned specifically to the downtown area, um, and the train station is a, a priority area. Um, but again, it, a lot of times it depends on when the snow comes in. Uh, and, and Kathy is someone that reaches out to me on a on a regular basis, uh, just to give me updates, both good and bad. Oh, that's uh, cool. On okay. kind of on, on what's going on. Um, you know, I've gotten some calls. Hey, it's you know nothing's been touched. Can you get somebody down here? I've also gotten calls that said, Hey, I can't believe how quickly the guys got this done. So I mean, I think she's a fair barometer of what's going on down there. Okay, and then I'm just going to combine the next two questions because they they name a couple of roads and i don't know if you have specific information us uh, from silvana uh bisotto uh she mm -hmm. says broken roads she mentions brookdale road and then wendy ward mentions sidewalks on maple street are in bad condition uh while grand and stoddard streets have brand new sidewalks well i'll, I'll start with the, the question on the road first <clears throat> um uh, Brian, our town engineer, along with uh, you know the board of selectmen, have put together a, uh, an essentially a road list for 2020. Um, we did this in conjunction with the five million dollar bond issue uh, that was overwhelmingly passed. We identified 46 roads uh, that we'd like to have work done. Uh, it's about 10.7 million dollars worth of work. 
Uh, we have prioritized those roads. Uh, Brookdale is on that road. All right. Uh, it's a it's a C-rated road. Uh, it's going to cost about three hundred thousand or so, give or take, um, to redo that road. The plan would be to reclaim and repave it, and then put in all new catch basin tops. Um, but, but again, we have five million dollars to spend, and we have ten million dollars of of work identified. So it's how we can get through this work, how we prioritize things. Um, you know, with regards to sidewalks, uh, sidewalks we generally do with steep grants. Uh, there has not been any steep grants uh, awarded in Connecticut in the last, it's either two or three years. Uh, there's been a cutback on those. Uh, they've been opened back up uh, for the upcoming year, is my understanding. So we will be applying again uh, for more sidewalk work. But the goal was to try to redo as many sidewalks as we could um, in what I'll call the old downtown area, first, second, you know, started all those roads kind of off um, Maple Street to try to give us the ability to allow people from that area just to easily walk downtown. And this is from um, Carol Kurt. I'm sorry. You, you oh, no, I'm saying we're, we're trying to do it in, in a systematic way as best we can. Uh, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done and not a lot of money available to do it. This is from Carol Kirby, and this is the last of the infrastructure questions. As an out-of-town resident patronizing a downtown business last Thursday, I was disappointed with the lack of snow removal on Bank Street. It's shameful that tax-paying businesses are losing parking spaces because of the snow piles. Um, that's an interesting one because we don't have... We don't allow overnight parking um, at downtown Seymour for that specific reason. So that way we can go in and clear, uh, you know, particularly first in Bank Street, mm -hmm. uh, just because there, there literally is no room down there. It's so small. It's so tight. And if you leave some snow piles. So that's something I'll have to address with the public works director. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, but that absolutely should not be the case. And that's, you know, the main reason why we don't have overnight parking. All right. Now, moving on. Aggie Parlock, Tritown Plaza. What's going on with Tritown Plaza? Um, the answer is going to be short and sweet. I got nothing. Bradley Hamilton posted a response to Aggie's question saying absolutely nothing. Was this you? Is this your alter no, ego? No, that's my, my alter <laughs> ego, yeah. Unfortunately, nothing the town can do with it. It's privately owned. Sean M. Thomas then posted a response to Bradley Hamilton because uh, people love – I mean, Tritown's obviously a uh, – a big deal uh, in, in in the area because it's so prominent. Uh, Sean wrote, eminent domain, like Malloy used to do in Stamford. Would eminent domain be in consideration here? Well, there's two things you have to keep in mind. I mean, it's not as clear-cut as, as people think because there's two different owners. There's a group that owns the land, and then there's a person who has a land lease and essentially has owns all the buildings. So, you know, it's not as, as cut and dry as, as people think it is. Now, I, I understand that Triton Plaza is, um, you know, an eyesore and, you know, people talk about economic development. But again, I, I, would talk, I would push them to talk about the economic development that's taking place in our commerce and technology park with the, you know, the, the joint venture between Thule and Basement Systems, with the growth of Thule by itself, the growth of Basement System by itself. You know, MPI, Emory Winslow Scale, moving their entire operation to Seymour. You know, just to name a few of the things that are going on. That's economic development. And, you know, if Triton Plaza is, let's say, redeveloped and stores are brought in, doesn't have a little impact 
um, and, and groundless growth. It certainly does. But again, it's more amenities. And, you know, the, the frustrating thing sometimes is, you know, people tie economic development and seem more to just Tritown Plaza. And it's something that really is not in our control. We've chosen to focus our energy, our efforts with businesses that want to essentially grow and expand in Seymour. So that's why, again, I don't have too, too much. I mean, we did have some general conversations with Mr. Spector about the potential of putting the community center on Triton Plaza. Um, but the, the conversations just unfortunately did not work out. How about in terms no. of, uh, I mean, I was in there the other day since they've torn down the middle, you know, the guts middle section of the plaza Albertos, mm-hmm. how's that business to, is doing okay? That's, it looks tough for, for that particular um, business now. I, I think if you, you could stick Albertos pretty much anywhere and it would be successful. Oh, that's um, it's, just a, it's just a good run family business um, that, you know, they care about their customers. So there, there's a lot of interaction, um, you know, with, with the family uh, to their customers. They're constantly out talking to people. The food is consistently good. The service is great. Um, so I think, you know, Albertos, you could stick them any place and, and they would be good. Uh, but they just did a completely uh, renov- a complete renovation, excuse me, uh, in the last two years of the whole the whole restaurant. The place is beautiful. So okay. they're, uh, they're doing just fine. And then in terms of development, this is from Lisa Shemansky. She asked, what's being built on Route 67 across from Webster Bank? Now, Julie Lynn uh, answered that. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I believe <laughs> she answered it. Uh, it's going to be a garden center. Julie Lynn rocks. She got that from yeah. the Seymour Planning and Zoning meeting minute. So you got a garden center coming uh, to Seymour. Uh, and, you- no, and I don't mean this to sound flip in any way, but we try to put out as much information to the residents as we possibly can, uh, with re- whether it's videos of meetings, meeting agenda, meeting minutes, um, all this information is out there for people to to find. Uh, so it's, you know, I mean, it takes some work. I mean, you have to know what you're looking for. You have to know where to look, but it, but it's all out there. So it's great when, you know, someone like Julie, who, who spends some time looking at that stuff, can answer a lot of these questions. We love the questions. Please, you know, continue to ask these questions. Um, but it's, it's just very helpful when someone like that is, can jump in to a conversation before we can even answer and give the correct answer or show people where to go or give them a link. It's just a great neighborly thing to do. And then, okay, this question is about taxes, and it's from Rich Rosansky. He mm-hmm. says, we voted to raise the mill rate after the financial crisis. Will it ever be reduced? Um, I don't. I guess I don't fully understand the question. I think he's um, saying it, there's zero. I'm going to interpret it for, for what I read it as. Okay, we we you know we in 2008 we rate their taxes were raised slightly from what I remember around that time, and he's saying are we ever going to get the mill rate reduced as opposed to zero? Okay, well I, I would I would push back on that statement. Just because the mill rate goes up or down, does not mean your taxes go up or down. The mill rate is nothing but a multiplier. What you have to do is you have to look at the budget itself and how has the budget changed. So when a reevaluation takes place, which is probably what he's referring to, um, the value of your home, if it increases in value, so let's say all the property in Seymour increases in value, 
the mill rate automatically comes down because again, you're still spending the same amount of money. If the property values in town drop, then the mill rate goes up. But again, you're still paying the exact same amount in taxes. So I'll give you an example. The budget is um, 20, just to, to keep it simple. And there's 10 homes in Seymour. Each home is valued at $2. What's the mill rate? What do you ask it be? The mill rate would be 10. <laughs> so now let's say the value of all those homes drops to a dollar. The budget is still 20. What's the mill rate? I, but I think what he's asking is... There's no increase in taxes. You want to talk about the value of your property. Or he might, he, he's that, probably talking more about uh, a government spending. Uh, you know, is there any, is there a reduction? He wants to see a reduction in his taxes, a year-to-year -year reduction in his taxes. Let's say everything stays the same. Uh, I think that's what that, that's usually what people mean when when they say that. Where, I, I want my 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 tax bill to go down next year. My property values can stay the same. I want the government to spend less money, uh, and I want to see some of that back in my pocket. I guess sort of what yeah. Ansonia did, which would you know when Cassetti came in and actually uh, gave a slight tax break uh, to people. But I guess your, the, your response to that would be like, well, all our expenses go up every year, and that's not really – doesn't make financial sense. The, the true barometer of a municipal budget is not the overall increase in the budget, the overall decrease in the budget, or the mill rate. I mean, you can't look at those things. What you have to look at is the amount of money that comes directly from the grand list. So as an example, in – um, we'll, we'll go back to fiscal year 2016. In fiscal year 2016 of our of the town of Seymour's budget, 41 million seven hundred eighty-six dollars and fifty cents of it came from taxes, from tax dollars. So whether it be residents or businesses in Seymour, that's how much they paid of a 55 million dollar budget. In fiscal year 17 the amount that came from residents was $42,185,854, so an increase of 0.96%, so less than 1%. The following year, that increase was 0.33%. The year after that, the increase was 0.86%. The year after that, the increase was 1.02%. So again, that's the true impact on taxes. So I would argue to anyone out there that I would think that we're being very responsible and that we're managing the budget properly by being able to accomplish all the things that we've done in Seymour to continue to strengthen our finances, to continue to move the town forward by doing it at less than 1% of an increase on taxes per year. Now, had the state of Connecticut kept up its end of the bargain, had the state of Connecticut properly funded ECS, had the state of Connecticut properly funded grants that it had in the past, had the state of Connecticut properly managed the municipal employees retirement system, we would absolutely be able to, in a very efficient and effective way, reduce that mill rate or reduce the burden of taxes 
on residents in the town of Seymour. So with the cards that we have, um, I think the team that we have in place has done an exceptional job fighting off these factors. And again, keep in mind, two years ago, we got dealt a blow of over a million-dollar cut a quarter of the way into our budget year from the state of Connecticut. That's a million dollars that was essentially taken off the table and covered by the residents of the town of Seymour. So again, it's, it's a very complex question that Rich, you said, right? What was his name? That, that Actually, Rich it was asked. me. I, no. <laughs> Just, no, it was Rich Rosansky. Yeah. And, you know, Rich, you know, comments a lot on stuff. Um, so, you know, he's got a good understanding of what's going on in town and asks a lot of good questions like that. But it's, you know, these, these questions are a lot more complex than, than people make them out to be. All right, now let's. That, that, move... That's not a knock at Rich in any way. I don't want that to come out that way. It's just, you know, there's no, a lot. It's a knock at me. Just... I get it. Whatever. Well, it's definitely not at you. Whatever, that I don't mind. Um... All right, let's move on <laughs> but... to wildlife. I like this question. I like this question a lot. This is from uh, Tony Franchise, or maybe Franchise. Is there any monitoring of coyotes in the Great Hill Road Bomba Farm area? Seems like the packs have gotten larger based on the howling. Now, somebody reacted to this comment and put, like, a, a laughing emoji, and then mm-hmm. Tony elaborated on it. He said, since we moved here five years ago, they've become a, lo- a lot louder volume-wise. Had one come out of the thin woods between yards one morning while my wife was walking our dog. I guess some people find it amusing, but I wouldn't like to hear about a kid getting hurt by having a run-in with one. Now, I'm on Tony's side here a little bit. There is this thing that happens online. This has nothing to do with, uh, really, you, Kurt. This is just me bloviating because you just went on for 10 minutes about taxes, damn it. I'm going to talk about <laughs> this. I had a fox in my backyard, right? I'm out with my kids, and a fox is ugly looking. Uh, I looked mangy to me. Uh, yep. So I put something on uh, on uh, Valley Indie Facebook, being like, "Hey, uh, Hawthorne Avenue Derby on my uh, quarter acre lot. Uh, there's a there's a fox roaming around, and it didn't seem scared of people. In fact, it approached me, and I went inside. And right. then, like, you there's this weird people who like know a lot about animals, and I and I don't know a lot about foxes. I don't know, I, even though I I come from uh, a less populated place." Uh, than where I live currently, there's this there's this like wildlife shaming that happens. How dare you ask a question? They they're not gonna hurt you. Like you know, it's your if it's your fault, and that does happen a lot online when it comes to wildlife. So that's my two cents. But I don't know. I mean, it is. Uh, if I was Tony and I and I got kids and an animal and I hear about coyotes and it, it seems to be increasing, that might make me a little nervous. Doesn't mean I'm gonna go out there with a uh, a flamethrower and just like scorch any dog looking animal I see. But uh, do you get any questions like this in uh, town hall? Um, we get comments, you know, more people giving heads up. You know, I was out walking the dog, and I saw a fox. I saw a coyote. I saw whatever they saw, a bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we've seen that a few times. So, you know, that's just more giving us a heads up, and then we'll try to get that information out to people, whether it be social media, uh, you know, f- targeted phone calls, stuff like that, just to let people know. We let the police know, uh, so that way they can maybe do a little extra patrolling in that area just in case they see it. Uh, you know, a lot of it, I think, stems from, and again, I'm not an animal person, so this is just my kind of guess, that it's, winter has not been that cold. Uh, so I think a lot of these animals are just out, um, and they're looking for food. They're hungry. I think they just want to get something to eat and go away. Um, I don't think they really are looking to necessarily hurt 
people, but I mean, if you're a pack of, you know, coyotes and there's a small dog to them, that's food. Right. So it's just, you know, people need to be careful. People need to be vigilant about what's, what's going on. But I think the biggest thing is if you see something, say something, let other people know, let's get it out on social media. Let's let other people know so that they, they're aware. So maybe if you're going to walk your dog, you bring a stick, you bring something that you could scare, um, you know, some animals away if you had to. And there is, I mean, obviously the town itself, this isn't obvious because people might think the, the, the town of Seymour itself uh, isn't, it, that's not your jurisdiction, essentially. This is where you could call or go to the website DEEP, the Department of Environmental and Energy right. Protection, and they have a whole fact sheet on coyotes. And then among the things they recommend is, you know, don't let your dog off a leash. Uh, right. Always be vigilant. Even if you have the dog uh, out in the yard on a leash, you know, keep an eye on it because, uh, you know, they are wild animals. Uh, they, they kind of have, uh, they, there's a phone number and there's a thing, I, I guess I just researched this before we, started this call but uh if there's a problematic coyote like one that's definitely killed uh an animal there there are things that the town can do they can call in a trapper and there's this whole deep program so anyway yeah. there is information out there but there's nothing wrong with asking that question it doesn't mean you hate animals and no not at all stop the uh the animal shaming people all right last quest well here's one from matt ito former ansonia alderman he's always has interesting things to say on facebook he's basically <laughs> I don't even know if I could. I, I feel like I'm going to. I could open myself up for a lawsuit here. But he, all right. So I'm going to generalize this. If 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 somebody sees a, a remodeling happen or or some type of work crew happening uh, in Seymour and they don't see any signs or permits, what can they do? Uh, best thing to do is call our uh, code enforcement office, and we'll have one of our officers. Uh, go out and check into whatever's going on. Um, our building official, Jim Baldwin, essentially is our director of code compliance, and he has uh, enforcement officers that work underneath him. So it's all connected, zoning, inland wetlands, blights, building. Uh, they try to keep an eye on everything that's going on. So if somebody sees something and they're not sure, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with calling in and asking a question. You know, worst case, you find out that, oh, they just didn't hang their building permit or something like that. Or it may be something that we weren't aware of and we could start some action. Or if it's something we're already working on, we could give them an update and say, hey, here's what's going on. Okay. Last question is from Emma Huller. It concerns tax cuts for senior citizens. How about a tax cut for seniors so I don't have to sell my house and move out of state like a lot of people are doing? Um, you know, we have the senior citizen tax freeze uh, that people can af apply for. A lot of that is uh, revenue driven, uh, so you can come in and apply for that. Uh, as for a, you know, overall senior citizen tax cut, that's actually harder to do than it seems. Um, because if you just say, okay, every person over the age of 65 gets 50% off their taxes, again, I'm just making things up, well, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to sell my house to my parents, <laughs> and I'm going to make the mortgage payments for them, but the house is in their name, so I get a 50% tax cut. I'm going to have my cars in my parents' name. I'm going to have, you know, different things like that. So it, it gets a little challenging to do things like that. So what all these programs are based on is revenue. So if a person is earning a certain amount of dollars, they qualify for a certain amount of a discount uh, on their taxes. Okay, and so, where would a senior go to learn about the uh, having their taxes frozen? Where uh, in, 
if he asks to speak with Tara in the assessor's office. Okay. Um, she will be more than happy to walk any senior through the program, just to give them a general idea. And then when it comes time to apply, she's very good about sitting down with folks and kind of walking them through what they need to do, what they need to provide. Um, we usually get, uh, you know, 100, 150 folks that apply every year. So it's a good number of people that take advantage of it. All right. So those are all the questions. I might have missed a few since we started uh, recording. I didn't go back and check. But thank you so much, Seymour First Selectman Kurt Miller. And thank you so much to everybody from Seymour that uh, posed questions. I mean, it, it's really uh, something to see. It makes me happy because these are questions I would not have asked any of these questions just on my own. So it's really cool. You know, this is you know the thing I love most about this and the way you do it is you do get these questions that sometimes you don't think about you don't think about how that information is getting out to the residents because uh, it's just some things that we do as a, a normal course and you know don't think about communicating it out to residents so this is a, this is a good public service that you provide Eugene to the residents of Seymour what would be great and you know it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't throw this one shot in <laughs> if you did a few more stories in Seymour we we would love that. We'd Listen, love to have all right, it. hey, change your meeting dates. This Tuesday, you're the same time as Derby P&Z. It's out of my control. If I could clone myself, I would. Believe me, I'm an egomaniac, but I can't make these meetings. Make them Wednesdays. All right, thank you so much again uh, for taking the time. Uh, I was really looking forward to this based on the volume of questions we had and uh, the fact that you answered each one in detail is very much appreciated. Anytime. I look forward to our uh, our podcast next month as well. All right. See you then. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For hundreds of years, we've brought you the news. For info, we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Changing market now threatens our lives. Post literation, critical reading, dumbed down nation, signs of inbreeding. TV sucking ideas from our head. Public discourse, just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Yeah, ride the dinosaur. Our readers are in the opens each day.
Dinosaur. 